listening to Best Served Cold, a Born Millennials podcast. The Australian true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. Formerly Egypt's 36th most popular true crime podcast, hosted by Tama J and Laura Lees. Sit down, relax, grab a drink and enjoy this week's episode. Yo! Welcome back, Fam Bam. To another you, week, Fam Bam. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> Woo! It's another episode. Thank you, ma'am. Another week, another episode. Uh, fun stuff. You know, as fun as talking about murders and and whatnot can yeah, be. Yeah, it feels really weird calling this stuff fun. Yeah, I mean... feel like the appropriate word. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. It's like a case study of anything, but it just happens to be very intense material. Yeah. Well, it's not fun. It's more so just enjoyable to, to do. Yeah, for us. Yeah. Anyway. Not the murder victims. Welcome to Best of Cold, the true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. I am Laura Elise, one of your fabulous co-hosts, and I prefer my liver served with a nice... I fucked that up. Jesus. Wow. Oh, this is the first time you've slipped up your title. <sighs> I fucked it up. Wow. Fucked it up. I went to say wine, and then I was like, "No, it's fava beans <laughs> and a nice Chianti." Uh, and I am Tamatoa, and it feels inappropriate to say anything after that, so I'm just going to leave it right, right there. Thanks. You're welcome. It's the first time I've ever screwed it up, though. Yeah, and on a, a horror movie reference as well. Yeah, I know. Wow. My other true love in life. Yeah. But also hate at the same time. I hate them and love them at the same time. I think everyone does. It's a love-hate relationship. Yeah. But anyway, if you're new here, uh, we like to do a little disclaimer at the start where we do say that we do swear quite a little bit on the show. Quite so a bit. if the the Fs and the Ss aren't your thing, uh, we would suggest maybe choosing another show. Yeah. Because you're probably not going to enjoy this one. Yeah. Probably also don't listen to murder podcasts as well because Yeah, it's a really weird place to draw a line in the I mean, sand. But yeah. you do you do you, boo. You do you. Uh, you can find us on all good things, social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook mm-hmm. at the BSC Podcast. Yes, you can. I feel, I don't know what's happening in my brain right now. It feels like I'm buffering, <laughs> like it's taking, my mouth is going faster than my brain can think. And it's yeah. usually the other way around. But I feel like there's like a lag in You're my brain. Great. You're doing Thanks. really good. You're doing great, sweetie. You're doing great, sweetie. Um, soon to be on TikTok. We're just working that out. We do have individual TikToks. Do you want to plug those? Absolutely not. Great. Um, <laughs> fine. I'll plug mine. Mine is just my name, Tama J. Toa. Um, I do talk a little bit about some true crime stuff. That I think sort of wanted to get more into that. And at some point, we will have a best of cold TikTok where we kind of... Do little we snippets. To, yeah, we just need to stop mentioning it because this is maybe the fourth week in a row. Well, it's more so just like it's it's something that's been a long time coming and a long a lot of work has. We gone need to into sit down and work out content ideas yeah. first before we actually launch one. Yeah, but I mean, uh, we barely have enough time to do the show as it as to begin with. So it's on things on top of it. It's yeah. just sort of like. And in All true right. Laura fashion, cool. I've also dumped on another two projects on top yeah, of Yeah, you have, haven't you? I don't know why Interesting. I do this to myself yeah. every time. We can talk more about that after the main gist of the show. Yeah. Um, uh, I think I do believe it's my turn to go first. Let's say yes. Week? Yeah, let's why say not? Yes. Mine's a bit of a long one, so probably best to do something else first. All right. Well, uh, so at this point, I think it goes without saying 
But just a trigger warning at the start of this one. Um, it's just really unpleasant. I don't know. I think as a as a woman, I find the the rape ones really oh, horrible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so obviously, trigger warning for that. And this is a story actually that I'd always planned to do. It had always kind of been on my long list of stories in the back of my brain that I was like, oh, I'm going to do that on the show one week. But a lovely listener sent this in as a request, like a story request. So I figured, yep. why not do it now? So thank you to Liz for sending this in. Thank, thank you, you Liz. Uh, if you have a story that you want either of us to cover, if you have a preference in which of our dulcet tones you would mm-hmm. prefer to say the story, you can specify that. Otherwise, I'll probably do it because I'm mainly the one on the social media yeah. things. So. And if we get enough, we'll eventually do a... Um uh, fan episode where all your submissions will be used in a sort of special episode um, because te- most of them tend to be sort of shorter ones and not enough sort of content for a full story. Yeah, it depends. Like this yeah. is a pretty well-known one. So it's, it's there's a relatively uh, bountiful amount of information. Yeah, yeah. One. But needless to say, we'll eventually do a um, fan one. So send all your submissions either way. They'll most likely be used in something. We'll write them down. We'll, yeah. we'll get it in there We'll somewhere. get there, yeah. We'll do it somehow. We'll slide in there. We'll slide in those DMs. So today I'm going to be talking about the horrific kidnapping and subsequent uh, imprisonment of Colleen Stan by Cameron and Janice Hooker. So I'm going to start with the backstory of the assailants and then kind of get into the bulk of the story itself. So there's really little known about Cameron and basically nothing known about Janice prior right. to the meeting. Mysterious. So Cameron and Janice Hooker are both pieces of shit. Let's just start <laughs> with that. Cameron was born in Alturas, California on November 5th, 1953. He moved around a lot as a child, finally settling in Red Bluff in 1969 at the age of 16. In 72, he graduates high school and he gets a job at a lumber mill. And it's in 1973 that the 20-year-old Cameron meets 15-year-old Janice those age gaps at that age will always give me the heebie-jeebies. Oh, yeah. yeah. To me, that's already like red flag. Yeah, it's don't go there. Step away, honey. Yeah. Unfortunately, Janice had been, you know, raised in a very abusive family household, so her concept of love was pretty arbitrary. Skewed. Yeah. Yes. So when they begin to date, and Cameron introduces her to his masochistic sexual appetite and his love for bondage. Not having ever really known a healthy or loving relationship in any way, she sort of takes this and offers herself to him, actually nearly drowning once in one of their sessions. Hooker's favorite thing to do was to tie Janice up by her wrists from the ceiling and hit her with a bullwhip. Oh, Jesus. Despite all of this, though, Janice marries Hooker in a small ceremony in 1975. By this time, he had already divulged to her that he had a want to abduct a stranger and force them into like a sort of menage a trois, which is basically like a married couple and a a mistress. Submissive mistress. Kind of. Gotcha. Essentially, but though, because a menage a trois is a consensual thing. Right, right. He's taking on a sexual slave. I think he just calls it a menage a trois to make make it sound better. better. Yeah. So Janice, you know, potentially hoping that the brunt of his torture will then fall onto someone else, she agrees. However, with some caveats, only the slave will be whipped and Hooker is not permitted to uh, have penet... Oh my God, this word. I put this word in so many stories and I always forget I can't Penetrative. Penetrative. Fuck! Penetrative. Penetrative. Vaginal sex with anyone but 
Janice. Nice. You got there. Well, not really. I just copied. I don't know why I can't say that word. Anyway, uh, so Hooker will impregnate Janice because she wants to have children and allow her and the children to live peacefully. He agrees to these terms and they begin to plan. So on January 31st, 1976, so almost smack bang a year after they're married, the Hookers pick up 19-year-old Mali's Spanyak in California while she's hitchhiking. They actually see out the ruse driving her to her destination. However, as she attempts to exit the vehicle, Hooker grabs her and drags her back into the car. Melise is taken to their home where she's strung up by her wrists and tortured. She's eventually shot in the torso with a pellet gun and finally strangled to death. Her body is then dumped in La Seine Volcanic National Park. But Jeez. sadly to this day, her burial site or, or body has never been found. Sheesh. It's not really known why... He strangles her because his whole intent was to take on a kind of full-time sexual slave. Yeah, someone um, to transfer her I over. couldn't really find anything that shed light on why she was murdered. Um, I don't know if maybe they didn't – she fought back or – Well, maybe something. it was more so he didn't want to kill his wife, but he had these in, these intentions of killing someone and it was like a killing of opportunity. Rather. Yeah, potentially. So in May of 1977, so let's just keep that year in mind, mm-hmm. 1977, 20-year-old Colleen Stan decides that she wants to attend a friend's birthday party and she opts to hitchhike there. She's an experienced hitchhiker and she's incredibly wary of who she gets in the car with. Two cars stop and are waved away by Colleen. However, it's eventually a blue van with a man, wife and a baby that Colleen decides is safe. She thinks that no one with a baby could possibly do any harm to her. Yeah, right. During the ride, they stop at a petrol station. Colleen gets out to use the bathroom and she recalls thinking that there was a voice inside her head telling her to, you know, leave the gas station and run as fast as she could. But she kind of dismisses it, thinks she's just freaking out over nothing because, you know, they've been nothing but nice to her so far. So she's like, you just calm down, Colleen. You'll be fine. When she returns from the restroom, she sees a strange wooden box sitting on the back seat that wasn't there before, but she kind of thinks nothing of it. They continue driving and Hooker drives to an isolated area where Janice gets out with the baby. He then uses a knife to threaten Colleen, then handcuffs, gags and blinds her and forces her head into this box, which is essentially a homemade sensory deprivation box. Weighs about 20 pounds and it's designed to limit light, sound and fresh air. Wow. So it kind of sits on your shoulders and yeah. just boxes Blocks in your everything head. out. Right. They drive Colleen to their home where she's strung up by her wrists and whipped while Janice watches. And then afterwards, while Colleen watches, Janice and Hooker have sex in the room next to her. She's then forced into a box only slightly larger than a coffin. The box is kept under the Hooker's bed and Colleen is forced to stay in there for up to 23 hours of the day. Jesus. And this goes on for years. And this is the part that gets me about this story is that her ordeal literally spans years. Jesus Christ. She's kidnapped in May of 1977 and her torment in the box goes on and on and on and on. In January 1978, she's forced to sign a contract written by Hooker that basically signs her life away and commits her to a lifetime of being his sexual slave. Aside from the obvious physical restraints, he'd also convinced Colleen that he was part of a powerful organisation called The Company. If Colleen were to even think about attempting to escape, the company would come after her and her family and painfully torture them all before killing them. And he reinforces this on a daily basis. 
And we've kind of talked on the show before about the power of something that maybe when it's first told to you, you think, well, that's that's not repetition. real. Like, that's not yeah. real. But the the repetition over years of being told something daily, you start to eventually believe it. It's rather than offhand, it's every single day. On top of this, it was also said that they would keep a photo of their first victim that they killed sort of propped up underneath their bed within the eyeline that Colleen oh, could see Jesus. outside of the box. It's sort of like a constant reminder of this could be you. Yeah. Eventually she is allowed out of the box for short periods to do household chores like babysitting the hooker's children and cleaning the house. She was even introduced to the uh, neighbours as their live-in nanny. No one suspects this thing and Colleen's torture continues and she never attempts to escape. As part of the contract she's forced to sign, Colleen is only referred to as Kay. She was only to refer to the hookers as master and was not permitted to speak unless directly told to. It was said that uh, Cameron Hooker had taken inspiration from a 1934 French erotic novel. It was called The Story of O. And allegedly he was trying to sort of mimic some of the themes and references from this novel. I didn't really do a lot of research on the novel. You can kind of piece it together. I'm kind of under the impression that the story of O was about a consensual menage a trois, though, and he's trying to replicate themes. I could be completely wrong about this. Yeah. Uh, It's around sort of this time where he begins to kind of, I guess, try and find loopholes in the agreement with his wife that he won't vaginally rape Colleen. He begins to orally rape her as well as using instruments to vaginally and anally rape her. Right. Okay. Feeling that doing it himself would be in violation to the agreement that he had with his wife. Mm. The family eventually move into a mobile home, taking Colleen with them. Colleen is still forced to spend most of her day in the box beneath the hooker's waterbed, using a bedpan to go to the toilet and leaving off scraps. In summer, due to the little ventilation, the inside of the box could get to as hot as 39 degrees or around 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, no. Colleen's behaviour, however, so pleases Hooker that she is eventually allowed to come out of the box, going for jobs, doing yard work, including helping him to build more accommodation, which he tells her is to keep more slaves. Despite being allowed outside and unsupervised and having access to the telephone, the constant threats of the company over the years had well and truly terrified Colleen and she never attempts to escape. Yeah, of course. So terrified was she that in 1981, so keep in mind... 1977 was when she was abducted. Mm -hmm. 1981, Colleen is actually allowed to go home on her own to see her family, and she doesn't say a word to them. She, uh, her family believe that she must have been involved in a cult due to her messy appearance, obviously homemade clothes, and the fact that she has no money and has never previously attempted to make contact. So she actually stays overnight at her parents' house, and Cameron Hooker goes to the house the following day for a second visit and he tells them that uh he's her boyfriend and there's actually a photo of them readily available on the internet of them at colleen's family's house where she's sort of like hugging him and she's got this big smile on her face and he's smiling and they're masquerading as a couple and colleen said that the reason she was able to have that big smile on her face was because she was just so happy to be home and seeing her family jesus man that's sad 
However, it's after this that he soon begins to fear that he's given Colleen too much freedom, too much free reign, and she's forced back into the box, only taken out of a nighttime to be raped and tortured. The hooker's children are told that she's gone home and Colleen is forced to be completely silent during the day, and this goes on for another two years. This is too much. 23 hours inside a box, only slightly larger than a coffin. I don't know how anyone can sort of survive... Something like that. Yeah. Um, so in 1983, he, Cameron Hooker decides that he wants to take Colleen as his second wife. And she's allowed out of the box and she gets a job as a hotel maid. And it's said that this is kind of the turning point for Janice and when she decides to go against him. Yeah. Because she's like, this was not a part this is not of okay. the agreement. Yeah. Uh, this is a betrayal. Finally, she's sees something wrong with this whole situation. Yeah, I mean, after fucking years of rape and torture and storing someone in a fucking box, sure, yeah, Yeah. whatever. So Janice confesses to Colleen that she too had been brainwashed and tortured by Hooker. She says that Hooker is not in fact part of the company but weirdly decides to keep up the ruse that it does indeed exist, they're just not members of it. (laughs) Janice takes Colleen to a bus station where she calls her parents and they wire her cash for a bus ride home. Now, the most wild part to me, Colleen returns home and doesn't go to the police. She goes about her life calling Cameron Hooker daily for three months and said she did this at the request of Janice, who says that she thinks that she can reform her husband and to not turn him into the police. (sighs) However, it is Janice that eventually reports him to the police and in 1985, Cameron Hooker is arrested. So... 1983, 1977, that's six years in which she spent, most of it was spent spending 23 hours a day inside a box under someone's bed. Jesus Christ. The the logistics alone of having a bedpan in a a box underneath a bed. The stench alone would... Well, just the logistics of actually going to the bathroom in a bedpan Yeah, she kind of... I read that she had to sort of work it underneath herself. Fucking hell. But just the the stench, you'd feel so unclean, would obviously be uncomfortable. And the mental trauma that just being alone in a box in solitary for 23 hours as Mm -hmm. well. The the sensory deprivation, everything Yeah, hardly any light, hardly any fresh air. Yeah. Not allowed to make a noise. People can't exist like that. That's not a way people can exist. So uh, in the trial, part of Cameron's defense hinges on the fact that he admits, freely admits that, yes, he did, while he did kidnap her, she had willingly stayed for years. Janice and Colleen both testify against Hooker. And what kind of, while I get it, because obviously they wanted to make a deal, what does upset me is that Janice is actually granted complete immunity in exchange for her testimony against Hooker. It's very typical when something like that to happen. Yeah. When there is a a primary suspect and a lower kind of ranking suspect, then Mm. it typically is a thing that happens. And I also think the the defense maybe would have known that she could have potentially played the battered wife card yeah exactly it's much more plausible to put him behind bars than lose both of them you know Mm. it's just the way sometimes it works 
So since uh, her sort of trial, she's changed her last name and gone on to raise her two daughters. The last update I could sort of find on Janice was that she's working as a social worker in California. And as far as my research showed that her and Colleen have not had any sort of contact. She's a social worker. Cameron Hooker was found guilty and sentenced to 104 years in prison. However, in a ridiculous turn of events, Hooker is eligible for parole in 2022, potentially sooner due to COVID and a new state law concerning prisoners over the age of 62. He could potentially be released this year. Nah, fam. Nah, that's not cool. I don't even understand how people like him. How do you get parole? Like, how do you think someone like that? You see, I can I can get Bill Cosby because of the money he has and the lawyers that he would have. But this is some random fucking douchebag who did a terrible thing and knowingly did it and willingly testified that he did it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, no, nah, maybe he's reformed. Yeah, no. Like, no, no, that's, no, that's not. not cool. That is not cool. Yeah, and that's the story of Colleen Stan. Wow. It's deeply upsetting yeah. and horrible. There is a very big chance that the second he is on parole, he's going to get shot the fuck up. I really hope so. I don't wish murder on many people, but people like that who just should should be locked up for the rest of their life. There's murder of opportunity where it sort of just falls upon your lap and you you do it. Crimes of passion. Yeah, but even if he wasn't planning on murdering this woman that he first murdered... The sheer idea of putting your wife behind, but in 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 that sort of trauma, um, that torture, mm-hmm. and will, whether he willingly knew about her past or not, is still not okay. Yeah. Even if up. she like agreed to it, like he should at least know like the past uh, that she experienced. All of these sort of factors leading, even up to the murder of like, if he just if he wasn't planning it, obviously. At some point, there was a murder yeah. um, premeditated in his mind. He wanted to murder someone. It just really, it also really says a lot about the insane power of, I guess, mental torture. Yes. Because yes. obviously, a huge part of what happened to Colleen was, as you said, the mental torture of being kept in a box yeah. and being told that. Not only you, but your whole family will be brutally tortured and murdered if you try and escape. I think even more so than that is the idea of being locked inside a box for 23 hours a day and then being used as an object for an hour of that day. And then put back in the box. But the idea of like, I need to appease this person, otherwise I'm going to spend the next 23 hours of my life inside this box again. Mm -hmm. And that happens... Like you said, for years. Every day for years. Every day for years. So the idea of like, of going to the cops, running away is not even in your vocabulary. The idea is just survive and not go crazy. Mm. Insane. So yeah. yeah, you know, it is a bit of like a crazy thing that she that she would not report him to the police even when going back to her home. But I mean, you got to imagine the mental trauma that that would bring. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your story, Laura. Thank you. That was a very horrific case. Yeah. Uh, We're going to take a little break right now. 
We're going to fill our water bottles, go to the bathrooms, all those fun little all things. All that good things? Yeah. All that good things. All wow, that good things. English. All the great things. Um, all the small things. Uh, and when we come back, I will be getting into my case. Welcome back to Best Serve Cold. Gotta love that smooth jazz. It's a good way to break up the horrific nature of the show, isn't it? Just yeah, a little, I guess so. A little, like, little something just to chill everyone out. Yeah. Not that our show is, like, a terrible fucking, like, it's just the content matter is a bit, you know, how you going. Our show is terrible. Yeah, our show is the worst, according to everyone. Whoever listens to podcasts, <laughs> according to the rest of the community. Um, so, look, I will jump right into my case. Um, it is a very interesting story and quite different to the norm of most sort of murders. Mm-hmm. Um, this person has been dubbed the house party killer because of the nature of the murder. It's such a crazy uh, circumstance of the actual murder itself. Um, But this case takes us all the way to Port St. Lucie between um, Orlando and Miami and Florida, South uh, Florida. Um, About 150 miles in between, um, about each each way towards Miami and Orlando. Mm -hmm. So just right smack bang in the middle. Uh, It was one of those areas back in the day where they converted acres of swamp and sort of forest into cheap land that they would then sell. Um, so kind of like a cheaper area. Um, and in by nine, by 2019, the population was around 201,000. Um, so two people who uh, eventually moved to St. to Port St. Lucie were Blake and Mary Jo Hadley. They moved there from Fort Lauderdale in 1983 to be closer to Blake's parents who were happily retired and living nearby. Blake and Mary Jo were they were a typical couple. They were compassionate and hardworking, um, seemingly normal. He was a engineer at the St. Lucie power plant and Mary Jo was an elementary school teacher. In 1987, the couple gave birth to their first son, Ryan, and six years later, in 1993, they would have their second son, Tyler. They were a very typical family, both sons seemingly very happy in their upbringing, um, but uh, there seemed to be a soon forthcoming um, mental underline. For most of her life, Mary Jo suffered from mild chronic depression, and at the age of six, Tyler started showing the signs of the same symptoms. Uh, Ryan, um, he was, uh, sorry, not Ryan, Tyler was signed up to counseling um, at the age of six. However, after years of the treatment, it did not seem to be help at all. And so at the age of 10, he was prescribed with Lexapro and other antidepressants. Now, this may seem drastic to put a 10-year-old on medication for something that he's just sort of showing mild symptoms for, but um, the circumstances were sort of a bit 
Interesting. Tyler was born prematurely and for the first month of his life, he was actually put in an incubator. Um, so going through this experience, uh, Mary Jo was very cautious for Tyler's health and also going through depression herself. Mm. She was just very protective of her son. Whenever he was sad or in pain, Mary Jo would make a huge deal out of it. And as the years went on, this only escalated. His depression symptoms started to worsen and his mother uh, increasingly was more, more and more overprotective. By the age of 15, he had now also been prescribed on Adderall, which is used to treat ADHD, as well as another antidepressant, Prozac. On top of this, Ryan had developed a pretty severe thyroid and was prescribed hormone medication, all at the age of 15. By 16, he was still going through all these issues and prescriptions, but now Tyler was bulimic and had low self-esteem. Mary Jo was worried that Tyler was getting bullied at school for being short and overweight. So her solution was for him to start taking growth hormone injections. Jesus. Despite his issues, Tyler was described as a pretty polite and respectful young man. He was close with his parents and he would often wait for his father to come home in the evenings um, and play basketball with him in his driveway. Sometimes they would play up until 12 a.m. that night. Um, in high school, things took a pretty dark turn. Growing up, Tyler had always been a quiet and distant kid. Now, this is fairly atypical between um, most people we cover in these cases. Quite reserved. They have mm. some, you know, weird um, instances, uh, some troubling um, habits, but. Around about this time of him becoming a teenager, he seemed to do this complete flip of his personality. He was now very outgoing, eccentric, unpredictable, um, and a bit of a bad boy. He was always seeming to garner everyone's attention and would often try to draw crowds around him. Um, sometimes in the middle of classes, he would laugh or shout out. And um, in the middle of summer 2010... Tyler and a few of his friends found an abandoned couch. Uh, together, they dragged the couch to a part of the North Fork River Reserve, um, which is a little short way through like this sort of big park, like a big swampland area, mm. uh, before they set it on fire with gasoline. Now, as this was a preserve, the fire department was called out to try and stop the fire from spreading because it's a fucking reserve and... A preserve and that's a bad thing yeah. um so the boys were all let off with the warning but mary joe was now under the impression that her son was flying out of control his mental health only continued to deteriorate as well eventually he was prescribed with hydroxine uh, anti-anxiety medication as well as uh citalapram i'm terrible with that uh, an antidepressant known as the selective serotonin reputake inhibitor, uh, one well known for increasing the risk of suicide in young adults when taken. It's a very controversial okay. medication. Um, on top of this, Tyler had begun to drink heavily and was also smoking pot and experimenting with pills. At some point, he was even dropping ecstasy quite frequently. Jeez. So we now jump to 17 years old. Uh, Tyler is still living at home. His brother, Ryan, has moved away to college. 
Tyler had gotten into a fight one day with one of his friends and was arrested on the charge of aggravated battery. Now, because he had a prior record of a series of burglaries, he consequently, he was sent to St. Lucie Jail for one week, followed by two weeks of house arrest. As a consequence of this, his phone was confiscated by his parents, um, adding more friction between him and his mother. Over time, Tyler started to seemingly hate his mother and it seemed that if anyone were to cross him he wouldn't take it lightly as exhibited by him beating the shit out of one of his mates lord uh july 16th 2011 it's a warm beautiful sunday uh saturday sorry uh not much is really going on in the town of port st Lucie. nothing really ever is going on at 12.15 p.m., Tyler made a Facebook post saying, party at my crib tonight, dot, 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 maybe. Later on at 8.15 p.m., Tyler made a second post saying, party at my house, hit me up. Now, Tyler wasn't a very popular kid in high school. He, or rather, he wasn't very well known amongst his peers. He uh, put this party out with an open invite saying anyone can come. He didn't really give a shit. Who would, who would come. He was just keen on having a bit of a rager. His parents were out of town, supposedly, but no one had known, no one knew where they had gone or when they would return. This would be the first party that Tyler would ever host, had ever hosted. Uh, he'd been telling his mates all week that he was planning on having one and all of them just thought he was full of shit because mm. his parents never allowed him to host parties, parties. ever. Uh, there was just... They weren't too fond of the idea of him doing that. So that night, as I said, it was a quiet night in uh, Port St. Lucie. Nothing really goes on in that area to begin with. It's There's no access to the beaches. Um, there's no access to the parks. They're closed at night. There's no real downtown area. There's no clubs. It's not. There's not really anywhere to, anything to do for teenagers in this town. Yeah. So, word spreads of Tyler's party at his house, and over 60 people turn up to his house to party. Nice. Now, most of the people in attendance have no idea who Tyler is. They were just keen on getting shit-faced at a local party that they had heard of. Uh, Now, this is, funny enough, um, how most Australians grow up. In their lives, they go to most parties and houses. I know you probably did in your sort of area. We go up to no, get shit first, yeah. <laughs> um, so the house just gets completely trashed. Right. People don't know who Tyler is. They don't really give a shit. Um, they just are keen to get drunk and they just start wrecking the place. The couch is split up. Um, the dining table is converted into a beer pong table. The food in little cupboards is ransacked and eaten. Uh, beer cans tossed outside on the on the yard, and bottles are being thrown at the walls and floors. With cigarettes being put out all over the place, staining carpets, etc., etc., etc. The family computer located near the dining table, turned beer pong table, was also filthy. The keyboard was covered in a dark brownish liquid. Not too. No one was too sure what it was. Several people asked Tyler where his parents were um, and how he could get away with having this house party. He gave them all different non-correlating answers. It was either they're in Georgia, they're in 
Orlando. I live alone in the house. My parents don't live here anymore. Oh, I don't like where this is going. By midnight, over 100 people had turned up to his house to party. However, the property looked like it had been vandalized for weeks. Uh, people found, even found bloodstains in the main rooms of the house. While some of the guests were playing beer pong, a ball had fallen off the table and rolled underneath the family computer desk. Here it had stopped in a sludgy brown liquid, similar to the one found on the keyboard. A friend of Tyler's, a kid named Justin, was the one who picked the ball up. He noticed the brown liquid and was immediately grossed out. Wiped the, the ping pong ball on his shirt and continued to play beer pong with it. Not knowing what the substance was, it just left his mind. Oh, I don't like this. It was around 1am when Tyler asked his best friend Michael if they could step outside to talk more privately. Michael had been friends with Tyler for about a few years, actually. They'd been friends since they were eight years old. So they were long-time friends. They walked to the end of the block, and upon arriving to the stop sign, Tyler opened up to Michael. He told him up front, I killed my parents. Oh, Lord. Michael laughed, not believing him. Uh, he thought he was full of shit again. Tyler told him he was being serious and that if you look close enough, you'll see the signs. Sure enough, looking in the driveway, both of his parents' cars were still there. There's no way they could have gone without them. He then took Michael to the garage and told him to look inside. Michael obliged, walked in and turned the lights on. There immediately he noticed a bloody shoe print and blood coming from out underneath the door's hinge. Immediately, Michael freaks out, leaves the garage and shuts the door behind him. Now shooken up, he is told by Tyler that there's still one last thing he has to show him. He leads Michael to the master bedroom. The door had been locked and as Tyler opened it, an unbearable stench leaked out. Inside, furniture was scattered all all around, including dining room chairs and blood-soaked towels, all stacked in a huge pile in the middle of the room. Items were thrown everywhere. It was just a giant mess. At the very bottom of it all, Michael could spot a thick, white leg. Tyler proceeded to tell Michael that earlier that afternoon, shortly before 5pm, he had hid his parents' phones so they could not call for help. He then took three pills of ecstasy pumped himself up and headed into the garage to grab a claw hammer. Jesus Christ. Returning to the living room, Tyler stood behind his mother while she was working on the family computer. For a whole five minutes, he stands there, watching, thinking, waiting, thinking about what he's about to do. She eventually notices him and turns around, and she's then struck in the face with the hammer. Oh, God. Blake, who was sleeping at the time, awakes to the sounds of his wife screaming, runs out to the living room, and before him stands his own son murdering his wife. For a few seconds, Tyler and his family just stand, and his father just stand there, staring at each other, making full eye contact, before Blake eventually asks him, Why? Tyler replies, Why the fuck not? He then leaps at his father and beats him to death with the same claw hammer. After murdering his parents, he wraps towels around their heads and drags them into the master bedroom, placing their bodies side by side and face down. 
The hammer was placed on the ground between the two bodies. He then proceeded to throw everything covered in his parents' blood that he could find and threw them all in the bedroom, burying his parents underneath the pile. Tyler spent nearly three years cleaning up all the mess and even still managed not to completely clean it all. Wait, he spent how long? Three hours. Oh, you said three years. Did I say three years? Yeah, I was like, Jesus. Spent three years cleaning up Three one hours, room. okay. Three hours cleaning up all the mess. He doesn't clean it all up, though, as was mentioned with the keyboard yeah. from before and the fucking disgusting ping pong ball, which had rolled into Mary Jo's own blood. Oh. I don't even want to think about how many people drank from that ping pong ball. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Yep. Yeah. Oh. Something to think about. Oh. He then takes a long shower, long, hot shower, and afterwards just stares at himself in the mirror for a while. Laughing hysterically. His friend Michael is clearly traumatized after hearing this. As you would be. As you fucking would be. I mean, if it were me, I wouldn't even know what to do. But Tyler asks, uh, Michael asks Tyler if he could have a photo with him. Takes a selfie with Tyler. Either knowing that this would be the last time he ever got to spend with his longtime childhood friend before... He goes away to prison and is what he has officially become, a murderer. Or it's just something of a nervous reflex. But I like to think that it was just him holding onto the memory of his childhood friend. Shortly after, he leaves the party. It's now 4am in the morning and the party is still going hard. Tyler carries on through the night drinking and laughing with strangers, people he doesn't even really know at all. People come and go throughout the night. However, there is still around 50 people inside the house at the time. At 4.40 a.m., Tyler posts another post to Facebook saying, Party at my house again. Hit me up. Only two minutes later, police storm Tyler's house. After returning home, Michael had called Crime Stoppers hotline and reported everything that Tyler had told him. I thought you were going to say they stormed it because of the party. No, no. They stormed it because Michael reported it like a good boy. Soon after, officers were dispatched to the house and Tyler was arrested. He was shackled in the driveway when a few officers started talking about how they would make their way towards the master bedroom. Tyler shouted at them saying, no, you can't go in there. Ignoring him because... They're fucking police. They can do whatever <laughs> they want. That's what they're supposed to do, yeah. Uh, they entered the room, forcing the door open, and found the bodies of Blake and Mary Jo. It took police hours to filter through all the debris and junk just to reveal the bodies in full. Jesus. The police also searched the house and found all of his prescription bottles. These are anti-anxiety medication, antidepressants, the mm. growth hormones. It's so much for a kid of 17 to have. Soon... Uh, in the morning, um, news breaks of the story of Tyler killing his parents and subsequently being arrested. Uh, eventually, this news circles back to Ryan Hadley, his uh, Tyler's older brother, who was now faced with the realization of losing both his parents. Oh, the poor boy! At the hands of his own brother. Police later discover that on the night of the murder, Tyler had actually used his parents' credit cards to take out over $5,000 in cash. They would also learn later from friends of Tyler that he had often fantasized about killing his parents and throwing a huge party while their bodies were still inside the house. 
Now, I mean, we've talked about before a bit how he would say these weird things mm. or just things in general his friends would think it was full of shit. So I can't necessarily blame his friends for that, but, I mean... Well, yeah. He was saying, he was fantasizing about doing the exact thing that he fucking did. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. On the 20th of March, 2014, Tyler was sentenced by a court of law in the state of Florida for the murder of both his parents. He was sentenced to life in jail without the possibility of parole. He clearly knew what he was doing and had 100% intent to do so. He was not given the death penalty due to his age. Now... This case is very interesting because you can be quick to label Tyler as a monster, someone who killed his parents. Something that is so far beyond the reach of humanity, beyond our comprehension of how we deal with our family. Mm. Um, we hear about mothers killing babies, fathers killing children, but a kid killing both their parents. It's such a complex thing. It's Mm. a very dark and gruesome thing. Nothing excuses at all what he did. He 100% had intent to do so. Yeah. 100% premeditated it and 100% is not a safe person to have outside living amongst us. No, absolutely He needs to be behind bars because he's mentally not sane. However, I don't think the blame is all 100% on his mental state. The thing is, he grew up not only absorbing so much medication... Mm. But different kinds of medication that cause complexities and complications with young minors' mental states. He was literally frazzled from mixing these prescriptions with recreational drugs, marijuana, and alcohol. His brain would have been fried for His brain was completely fucked. And again, that does not excuse what he did. At all. No way whatsoever. Mm. However, it is much more complex than just a dark child born from an abusive family because there is no abuse in this family. They were. Oh, no, I completely agree. Yeah. He really, in terms of his childhood, had no reason to act the way he did. It's a complete flip to to the typical nuclear narrative of a Mm. killer because we hear so much about the solitary um, childhoods of abusive fathers, of... Um, arson of killing pets. Yeah, his brain was basically none of that. It's literally a killer created from these mixtures of chemicals. Mm. And it's so it's it's an important case because it shows that it's not just a matter of this kid was born wrong. He was created to be like this. Yeah. Whether willingly or not or no one had any intention of doing so, but he was created like this. And that's the interesting thing about this case. But that's that. That is the Can you imagine um case of how the horrified those like the kids who didn't even know him who would have saw it on the news and been like, I was partying yeah. with dead people up They were in so uh, they were in um 
in the house, uh, I'll see if I can show you because there is a photo of the living room with the beer pong table and everything. Oh, okay. And it shows the door to the master bedroom. Oh, so it wasn't even upstairs. It was like just through the it door. Was, it was a one floor house. Oh, Lord. So if yeah, I- Yeah, that would, that, would, um, that would fuck you up. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not even a matter of like, oh, it was like in a different room. It was so far away. It was on a different floor. So if you look at this photo, oh, yeah. Laura- that's the beer pong table. Yeah. That's the computer where she was murdered. Jesus. Right here is the master bedroom. So literally, these kids are all in this, most mostly in this one big room. Literally between them is a door um, separating people. them from the dead people. Yeah, that's... Probably like... Full on. Probably six to ten meters away. Yeah, so, that that would um that thought would stay with you, for sure. And just being this person's friend as well, being this being his brother, being um that would Ryan be or so, Michael, that would be so devastating for the brother. Oh yeah, it, I mean, it, it, and if Blake, his father, had survived as well, just the the idea of seeing your child murder your wife this is someone you've loved your entire life and have created life with it's it's such a terrible sad story yeah it would be horrific yeah well Well, on that note um these cases are done if you uh enjoy them please let us know we are now moving on to our show after the show we kind of fluff on a bit we discuss various things if that's not your thing No worries. Cool. Thank you for joining in. We'll see you next week. However, if you're a sick motherfucker like us and you like to talk mad shit, welcome to arguably the best part of the show. Welcome to the show after the show. Yeah. So after hours. whilst Tama has been, and I don't say this to say that I wasn't paying attention because I'm a female, so I'm very capable of focusing on two things at once. I've become a bit obsessed with... So we've tried to cut back on the quantity of alcohol that yes. we drink in a big way, which yep. we've done very successfully. We yeah. went basically two weeks without drinking anything and then moving forward, we've only been drinking on the weekend in small amounts. Yeah. In saying that, though, the fact that the quantity has dropped significantly makes me want to try different things. So while you've been telling your story, I've also been on Difford's Guide looking for interesting Right. Cocktails. And I think right. I found one that I really want to try. What is it? It's called the Blood Sage. So it's blood orange juice, sage leaves, dry gin, lime juice, sugar syrup, and egg white. That sounds nice. It sounds delicious. That sounds really nice. There's also a Corpse Reviver number four. No way. There's which is more? a Corpse Reviver number two, but with Reposado tequila instead of Oh. Gin. Oh. So it's absent. <laughs> Absinthe, Reposado tequila, Lille Blanc, triple sec, lemon juice, and a bit of sugar syrup. Nice. Okay. Um, I dig that. I dig so that. these are things now that I'm like, I, I want to try. There's All also of them? One, yeah. Yeah. There's one called a cactus banger, which is tequila, uh, Grand Mariner, or another cognac orange liqueur, fresh orange juice, and fresh lime juice. Wow. Lime's juice. I can't speak. Which is great because we're doing a fucking show where we have to speak 
uh, for over an hour. At least it usually... <laughs> usually... Uh, we do this for, not for a living, but as a hobby. It usually waits until the end. When I, I've had such a like productive day and Your brain's smashed just out, out yeah. so many tasks in terms of the various projects that I've, for yeah. some reason, yeah. decided to load on my plate. My brain is now fried. Yeah, fair enough. Absolutely you're doing, fried. You're doing great. Thank you. You're doing very good. Uh, so just in a quick plug, we, I have another podcast, not we. I, Tom was not involved in this We as in, yes, the French yes. A wee-wee. Yes, I have a A new podcast. Wee-wee, I have a new podcast coming out. Uh, So myself and my friend Sophie are both obsessed with horror movies. So we're going to be doing a show called The Little Show of Horrors. Uh, It's launching on Wednesday, August 11th. We'll be dropping five episodes to start with, so you've got a good little chunk to listen to and then we'll be posting weekly after that so it's basically us live reacting to horror movies and then rating them talking about them yeah but i think it's going to be really good so if you are someone who likes horror movies or is interested in sort of in-depth film reviews i'll let you know when it's out hell yeah even if you don't like horror movies, as a supporter of the true crime BSC community, I would love it if you would help us make our launch week amazing and spread the word, share it with your friends, yeah, all that jazz. Spread podcasts, not hate. Yeah. I'm currently trying to convince Sophie that we should also do a D&D live play podcast. Yeah. She's not totally set on the idea but let's give it a couple of weeks and see how we go because i I, think i'm just obsessed with podcasting i agree so the thing is it's it's much like with the true crime thing i get it because it's like we came in like a couple of drunk bar goers with our dicks out flopping all over the place like we were like going we were like we like true crime let's start a podcast and then it kind of like did pretty well and now we're part of the community and everyone, and then like some people are like, well, who are these cowboys coming in out of nowhere from Sydney, Australia, who like true crime and whatnot? Like they don't know much about it. You know, like, well, mm-hmm. look, maybe we don't know as much as fucking My Favorite Murder or, or uh, what's another? I mean, look, don't, don't talk to me about My Favorite Murder. You know what I mean? Like, but so that I get the whole idea of like, I don't, I'm not necessarily comfortable with that because... I mean, like when we're not seasoned D&D players. She'll yet. become addicted. You watch. We'll start, we'll do the first podcast and she'll become addicted. And she'll be like, you know what? We should start a podcast. But I agree. We should probably actually know what we're doing when it comes to d Yeah, because like half podcast. of us would be like, can I stab this crab And you'll be like, yes. Lightning. And you'll be like, yeah, roll three for it. You're yeah. Like, okay, no, dope. that's fair. Maybe when we, I think we're going to do a few one-shot campaigns first i've got our first campaign i did not realize how much fucking work went into this shit i have four pages of notes and i think in terms of campaign play that adds up to about 30 minutes jeez yeah no it seems like it's a bit of a, a lengthy process so to Anyone who may be listening who is a DM for like a long-term campaign, if you have any tips, please share because I have no idea what I'm doing and it's very (laughs) overwhelming looking at all the rules. 
So, but I'm I'm excited. I'm super excited. I'm just nervous. Yeah. As all hell. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, exciting. It's exciting stuff. There's a lot of things happening. Um, what else is happening? We're in week four, three of lockdown? Week I four. I've lost count. Who knows? I'm kind of like just trying to shut myself out of the the whole lockdown speak. I really wish I could do that. But it um, ends when it ends. It's, it, you know, the case of the cases, I kind of just don't want to know This about Saturday it. will be four weeks. Right. Interesting. Feels like it, it went by really quickly. I don't share that thought, but... <laughs> I understand your concern. I do not share that. I'm concern. like, has it only been four fucking weeks? Yeah. Um, I guess the thing is just that we're trying to stay busy because there's not much else we can really do. Yeah, but see, this is the problem because this is what I did last lockdown. I, quote, tried to stay busy and piled a shit ton of projects because I had time because I was working from home full time and yeah. had no other social events. And then life started to go back to some sort of level of normalcy. And I was like, holy shit, when was the last time I like sat down? Yeah. And I got really burnt out and got really sick for like four months. <laughs> so we're going to try and avoid that. So Tamara, if you hear me even thinking about doing another project, just say no. I think it's all just about like finding what works for you. Like you start these projects in lockdown. And it comes back to, you know, we're kind of going back into the real world. Things are returning a little bit back to the way they were and schedules change. Mm. But it's sort of about adapting those things that you enjoy doing into your day-to-day life Mm. and sort of making it work. Like beforehand, like, can you really say you're using every single second of your day-to-day life to do something productive? Like every single second you had off of work, cleaning the house, whatever, you know, like, was that all utilized to its best I mean, gen- at the end of last year, like September, October, genuinely, yes. Yeah. I would like wake up, get ready, go to work, come home, like get changed, depending on the day, do a workout, come upstairs, sit down to do a uni lecture do my notes, do the podcast, go to sleep, wake, like, and then I do it all over again. Yeah, it was yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. So I'm trying to avoid doing that this time around. Yeah. But my main point is just like, there's always room for something. Like for the most part, I think a lot of people out there feel like they don't have the time to sort of oh, invest in Oh, things. no, I, I 100% get that. Realistically, like if you have time you know, to sit down and watch three episodes of a TV show every yeah. night, you have time to dedicate yeah. it to some sort of project or a side Exactly, hustle. yeah. And the whole idea is like things that you enjoy doing that maybe aren't necessarily productive feel a lot more worthwhile when you mm. feel like you've earned that time. That's true. So, you know, um, it, it's all... It all feels a bit hard. It's all relative. It all feels a bit difficult to get into. It's like exercising, you know, like it's not for everyone. Once you start, it's, but it's once you so start, much easier once you start. It, exactly. Like and I felt like when we took that massive break from doing the show. Yeah. And then to get back into it, it felt like this monumental task. And yeah. now we're back into it. I'm like. It's just, yeah. Okay. So I have to try and carve out three, four hours a week yeah. somewhere to do research. But realistically. It's not that difficult. I think largely too, it is also a part of telling yourself that you need to do something. Like yeah. if it gets to, you know, 
the crunch time and you're like, I haven't fucking done any of my notes. Like your fallback is to say, well, fuck it. We won't do this week. Like, yeah, or no, I don't you, want to do this anymore. You have to not give yourself the option. You have to say, no, 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 we're doing this thing. Yeah. I always think back to uh, one of my team leaders, Luke, who was my, I got so lucky. My very first team leader slash manager in corporate life was the fucking bomb. Like he was the best manager, hands down. Yep. He was such a cool dude and he, he was a very big dude and he found out he got quite sick and so he had to lose a lot of weight in a kind of short period of time. And I remember I've always had a bit of a sweet tooth and I remember saying to him, I was like, Luke, how do you do it? Like how did you go from like having donuts to just suddenly being like, no, I'm not going to say yes. And yeah. he was like, because I don't look at it that way. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, there is no saying no. It's just not an option. Yeah, Like exactly. it's not me going yes or no. I'm just removing the yes. Yeah. Like yeah. there's no option A, B, C. There's option A and that's it. And I was yeah. like, oh, that's a really it's all mentality. good way of looking at it. Yeah. Like he's like, so I don't weird. have to resist and say no to sweet. It's just not even an option. Yeah. I was like, ah. Oh. That's a really cool way of looking at it. It's sort of the same thing that – so we've, we've recently gotten into calorie counting because we sort of want to watch our weight a little bit and just sort of get down to a comfortable weight that we enjoy. For me, it's more of a self-confidence thing. Well, no, I, I, that's what I mean. Like, of course, it is yeah, for everybody. Like both it's of us for everybody. are healthy weights. Yeah. It, but I, for me, I, it's I, self-confidence thing. Is, is, that's everyone's yeah. goal is to feel confident with themselves. But – the whole idea of it is like, you know, uh, do like you don't even think about, oh, you know, I'm, I might go over, but, you know, it's just like don't. Just don't fucking yeah. do it. Like if you want to achieve this thing, it's just not an option to do so. Like we have a tracker that kind of keeps track of everything and we know exactly how much we've had that day and and the goal is to achieve less and less every week. Of your weekly sort of allowance of calories. Yeah. And, you know. It's tough, though. It's tough. But it's also it's just a good. particularly fun. It's also just a good, like, outline of, like, all right, well, you know, fucking, I probably yeah, should. It is what it is. And it also gives you this whole, like, slap in the face of, like, hey, this thing you're doing where you're eating donuts, like, every fucking day, you probably shouldn't do that. Mm, not that we were eating donuts. No. But I'm, I'm exaggerating. I'm using an example. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I see what you mean, but that, that's the, that's the whole idea. It's just like you know, like if you want to make a change in your life, you can just do it. It's fairly easy to do so. I feel like we've gotten very uh, preachy. Yeah, we have the last. We? Um, few I don't know. Times. I think we're just we're just in good places at the moment. Um, like obviously lockdown sucks and COVID sucks and all that, but. Um, the thing that sort of keeps us going is just keeping, keep on moving. Keep, keep on keeping on. Keep doing stuff. Keep on keep your on mind active, on. keeping your body active. Keep on keeping on. And I feel like if we weren't doing, if we were doing literally nothing through lockdown. We'd, go, like, we'd both go insane. Yeah, exactly. We would literally both go insane. Yeah. More so than we already are. Yeah. And that's saying something. Yeah, it's very true. What else has been happening in your little life, Tama? Not that I wouldn't know because we've been sharing the same 
like what uh, six hundred square meters. Um, I have a new song coming out. Yes, plug that. that. Plug it. Um, it is coming out on the sixth of August. It's a big week. Yeah. Wait, no, that's the week before. That's the week before. What's the week before? Friday before. My new podcast comes out. Right. Um, yeah, 6th of August, I have a single. It's called SOS with my band Juno. Every time you say that, it just makes me think of the Rihanna song. Yeah. Like, well, that's that. we're going for that. We're trying to, like, stitch our song to that. Um, it's a very, like, synth wave, synth pop song. It's very cool. I know I'm very biased, um, but it's very cool. If you dig that kind of stuff, yeah, for sure. Um, check it out. We're a Juno on all things streaming. And on the 6th, we'll have that release coming out. Um, best way to keep track of it, I guess, would be checking out our Instagram and our Facebook um, one or the other. Which are? Which are Juno. Just type in Juno and it should come up. If you can't... I think you should give them the actual unit. It's uh, Juno.exe on Instagram. And it is on Facebook. Uh, it is not that. It is Juno. Uh, it is not that. It is... Well, well, well. Someone doesn't know their own social media things, handles. It's a, it's hard because it's a number. Um, you know what? What's a number? The username for the for Juno. It is uh, Juno three eight two five. Nice. So Juno dot exe on Instagram and Juno three eight two five on Facebook. Nice. Um, we will also be launching a TikTok, um, for Juno. So there's a lot of TikToks going on at the moment. Oh, there we go. Just if anyone was wondering, I got a COVID test on Monday. I just got my results. It's negative. Cool. So I can leave the house again. Nice. I mean, in not really, but. Yeah, but technically. I speaking. literally haven't left the house in like 48 hours. Really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so. That's all happening. Very exciting. Um, and then we also have another single some single coming out um, on the twenty seventh of the of that month as well. It's uh, your favorite one, Laura. Two AM. Yes, I like that song. Um, so that'll also be coming out uh, soon. So a lot of lot of songs coming out. Um, I also got a solo song that I'm working on that will come out TBA. Uh, when I have more information on that, I'll plug it for sure but um yeah that's i don't really have anything else to say i've gone to that part where I, my butt hurts and i just kind of want to get the fuck out of here wow that's rude <clears throat> that's really rude to all the lovely people that structure their entire week well, i mean i'm not blaming them no for my ass hurting i'm blaming you that's for weird. pegging me that's don't <laughs> tell people that's not true. That's legit what we did last night. That's not what that is. don't tell people no, it is. that. Why that's you, not factual. Why are you getting all shy all of a sudden? That's not factual. Don't why? listen to him. You're <laughs> What's such you're a so, piece of shit. You're so bashful, it's fine. Well, we can open up these guys, alright. Um yeah, so That was um, a weird segue. Can you please clarify that I didn't peg you? So Laura pegged me last night. Oh my god, uh, you're we such are an the BSC podcast on all things social. Tama has a small dick. There you go. <laughs> you want to play dirty? Wow. I can play dirty. Yeah. Laura has a big dick. A <laughs> big pegging dick. <laughs> and she brings it up every single time. How do we 
get to this place? Now I feel, now I, now I feel two things. One, I feel the need to clarify that you don't have a small penis, okay. but two, I feel weird talking about your penis full stop. All right. No, you can talk about my penis, but however you want. It's I'm sure our small. listeners probably don't want to hear no, about it. No, that's why I'm saying I feel weird. But do and I regret clarify bringing it up. That for but sure. it's not, it's, it's not small. No. Just Thank you. anyone was wondering. Laura's is also not that big. I have big dick energy. She does. You do. If you had a dick, it would be big huge. dick energy hung like a motherfucking yeah, horse. You would be like a fucking fire hose. I would be. Thank you. Yeah. That's like the nicest thing anyone's yeah. ever said to me. You'd be like a do you know what, stallion. Do you know what, Sophie? Um, I was recording our or her portion of the uh, live react to the movie for the first episode. And she was talking to... Her partner James, because obviously we can't. The, the idea is when when the show happens, we'll be in the same room together and live react. But yeah. for the moment, we have to do it remotely. So she was with her partner James, and they were joking around about him beating her up. And she was <laughs> like, "Well, you know what? If you ever did that, I just get Tama. Wait, no, I get Laura." And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> I may be smaller, but I have anger. Oh, Laura I have rage is issues. intimidating. For someone that is shorter than me and has less combat experience, you are very intimidating. Thank you. But I'm not short. You're I'm not short. Average height You're for shorter a than me. I'm shorter though. than you. Yeah. I just have some like pent up rage and childhood you got, trauma. You got squatters, thighs energy. You could crush someone's <laughs> head with the thighs. It's the pole dancing, my yeah. love. Yeah. No, it's fucking hot as hell. Well, what? I You literally hold your entire body weight so like 60 something kilos oh you could suffocate someone with your thighs thighs alone alone. yeah just yeah your thighs you could fucking kill someone yeah i'm excited to get back into pole yeah just (laughs) another thing that i can't wait until this fucking lockout lifts lockout lockout lockdown lockout lockdown can't wait till these lockdown lifts and i can do pole again and see my friends yeah it's all good it's all happening um, what's our code word for the week? Our code word is... Actually, I already have the code word. You got a code I, word? Go for it. Because I didn't Our code word is cactus banger. Cactus banger. Yes. And if you're interested in making a cactus banger, go to diffidsguide.com and search cactus banger. Because nice. it actually sounds delicious and I'm excited to try it choice. on the weekend. Choice, choice, choice. That's the show for the week. We would love it if you haven't already, if you can leave us a review on yep. Apple or... Wherever you listen, if they let you leave a review. If not, all good. We love you anyway. The code word for the week is Cactus Banger. Remember to send us photos of your pets because it makes our week. Send us stories if you have a six degrees of separation story um, or if you have any cases that you want us to cover, please do send that in. Yes, do. Do, 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 do that. Wow, Um, I just... Yeah. And, or if you have anything um, that you thought was interesting, or you wanted to be bring up in the, or if you just want to chat, yeah, fuck it. Where where we will try to get back to you as soon as we can. We are just two people running an entire show, so we'll do our very. We do very also best. work full time and have other things. So yeah. if we are slow to reply, I do apologize, but we yeah. will eventually get there. Yeah, we do love you guys. Uh yeah, I think. That's it. That's kind of it. Yeah, the BSC Another podcast and all things BSC. social. We out. We out. We out. We out. Peace, fam. Peace, bang. I was uh, doing a six with my bang.